Okay, we are in Matthew, starting chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, reading from verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And that's why the miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and he had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported it to Jesus. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the city. Okay, so what we see here in in, in Matthew chapter 14 is that Herod hears all of this work that's being done by Jesus and his disciples and assumes that the only one who could be doing this is John, who's risen from the dead. You know, sometimes we make assumptions that are totally ridiculous, and we somehow believe them. But Herod was, of course, being tormented probably by the things that he had done to John. John had been thrown in prison for approaching Herod, who his father had actually been given this title of, of king. This Herod was, was the original Herod's son, and uh, uh, he didn't have the title of king. In fact, when he had gone to ask for that title, it got him in a lot of trouble with Caesar. But Herod had, had, uh, had been, it, it says, had his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. So Herod was sleeping with his sister-in-law. This was his brother Philip's wife. And John didn't know, John the Baptist didn't know that you're supposed to stay out of everyone else's business when it comes to their sin. Didn't John the Baptist know that he had no business talking like this? You know, when someone's sinning, they shouldn't be approached. Well, anyway, John the Baptist approached him and said, you have no business sleeping with your sister-in-law. That is your brother's wife. Well, this bothered him. Herod so much that he had John thrown in prison. And, you know, so often we're we're beset with, it's none of our business what other people do in their own bedroom. Well, here's an example in Scripture where it became the prophet's business. The prophet actually made that his business. And what does he really have to do with Herod? I mean, who is Herod? Herod is this Gentile... Although Herod may have, have 
been, been friendly with the Jews and may have even become a Jew. I'm not sure if it was just his father or, or, or if, if this, this Herod as well. But anyway, John approaches him and says, you have no business doing this. It gets John thrown into prison. And Herod would have had John killed at that very point. Because it says in verse 5, although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So the only thing that kept him from killing John the Baptist was that he was afraid of the crowd. He wanted very much to kill him because of what John was telling him. We do not like people to confront our sin. It's not just that others out there don't like us to confront them with their sin. We don't like it. And this is why the Scriptures are so important in our lives, because the Scriptures are absolutely uncompromising. The Scriptures confront us with our sin. It is okay in the secular world to say, Godspeed. It is okay, even at a convocation, to pray some generic prayer. But don't you dare mention Jesus Christ or the Bible in some secular setting. And I think a lot of that is because Jesus Christ and the Bible hold us accountable for our actions. This is not some mysterious, generic God out there. This is very specific. Jesus Christ had specific claims. And the Scriptures hit us dead on in our sin. And it tells us what is right and what is wrong. And the Scriptures outline the effects of doing what is right and the effects of doing what is wrong. The Word of God has tremendous blessing for obedience. But to him who is doing wrong, it is an absolute warning. And it is absolutely threatening in many cases as to what is going to happen. The Scriptures say, I lay before you a blessing and a curse. And it lists out the blessings for obedience to God in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And then it lists out the curses that come for disobedience to His Word. And the Scriptures hit us right in our face. And this is why we need to be reading the Scriptures. This is why we need to be in a church where God is preached, where the Scriptures are preached. Because we need to be confronted with our sin. We don't like it, but we need to be confronted. Who is the pastor to suggest that I need to give more? Huh. I think I'll go to some other church. This is a feeling that arises in all of us when our sin is confronted. So much so that when I feel resentment because of something that somebody has said, I get this immediate check that this may well be the Holy Spirit. Because if it's not the Holy Spirit, it doesn't seem to bother me much. Because I know it to be a false claim. But the things that really sting, I have to stay back and to say, wait a minute, maybe they're right. Maybe this is stinging me so much because it's true. Maybe I am being a hypocrite in this case. And so we, how we have to be open. Or, who is He to speak into my life? He's not perfect. You know, this is a common thing we'll come with. This messenger is not perfect. That pastor's not perfect. That Bible study leader's not perfect. 
Who are they to speak into my life? I know they have some problems in their lives. Well, John the Baptist wasn't perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. But God confronts us through imperfect people very often to point out our sin. And just because they're imperfect doesn't mean that they're not right. We hate to have our sin confronted. Then the other thing we find is that John the Baptist is beheaded. He is beheaded for confronting a man in his sin. Just because we confront somebody with their sin doesn't mean that we're going to be blessed in life because of it. I mean, somebody may react back and we may lose a job or something could happen. I mean, here's an example of it. John is beheaded. And it seems like such a waste. Just because, you know, who who put Herod up to beheading him, it was... It was Herodias' daughter. Herodias was the woman he was sleeping with. There can be a lot of, of uh, feelings of, of vindictiveness there. And so when Herodias saw that her daughter got an oath from Herod saying, I'll give you whatever you want, Herodias says to her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I mean, this is tough stuff. The world doesn't always react to our confronting them with their sin. doesn't always react well and embrace and say, Oh, I'm so glad you've done that. I feel so much better now. It's given me an opportunity to repent. Thank you. The, wor- the world often reacts quite hard- harshly when we confront them with their sin. And we who confront because of the Scriptures, have to be open to people confronting us. We have to be open. And it's not always accurate. But we have to at least be open and say, Lord, is this true? And I would say, in many cases in my own life, not in all, but in many cases in my own life, when people have confronted me, there was at least some measure of truth to it there was at least something that I had to bring before the Lord in this case. There were other times that I said, let me tell you the whole story. And then when they've heard the whole story, they say, oh, okay, I didn't realize from that perspective. And then when Jesus is hit with this, that your your cousin, actually it was was sort of a... So... Elizabeth was Jesus' mother's Mary's aunt, and John the Baptist was Elizabeth's son. So, so it's sort of a cousin-uncle sort of thing. He hears about John the Baptist, his relative, who baptized him, being beheaded. And what does Jesus do? This pains Jesus so much that when he hears about this, he doesn't go, Oh, well, it was God's will. I knew all the time. No. He may well have known because he's God, but it still pained him so much. It says in verse 13, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Jesus wanted to get away 
This is interesting. The response from Jesus when he hears about this, it pains him so, he goes to a secluded place to pray. This was a common practice of Jesus, was to go to a secluded place and pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says that, you, that Jesus would rise up early in the morning while it was still dark and go to a secluded place and pray. Jesus hears about John, his relative, and he wants to go and spend time with the Father. Jesus, remember, he's in the garden praying alone. He says for his disciples, pray with me. And then here he's in the garden praying alone. But he's in pain because his relative, he hears, is beheaded. One whom he loved. And he goes off to a secluded place. And although he goes off to pray, he doesn't immediately get the chance to pray. Something else comes up. In verse 13, when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the city. So what does Jesus do? They're on this, this Sea of Galilee. Jesus hears about this. He gets in a boat with his disciples and they head out to some other portion across the lake. The disciples hear about it and they follow around on land. Not the disciples, the, the, not the twelve, but the other disciples hear about this and they follow on foot to follow Jesus. Now Jesus wants to get away, but he can't. Verse 14. And when he was alone, and, and when he was... A, And when he was ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. So when the crowds come, Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, you know, I just heard devastating news. I got to be alone. He starts having compassion on them and ministering to their sick. And then it doesn't even stop there. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, the place is desolate. The hour is already late. So send away the crowds that we may go into the villages and buy uh, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves but Jesus said to them they don't need to go away you give them something to eat and they said to him we have only 5 loaves and 2 fish and he said bring them to me ordering the people to sit down on the grass he took the 5 loaves and the 2 fish and looking toward heaven he blessed the food and breaking the loaves He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about five thousand men who ate, besides women and children. Now let's read in the other three Gospels this same account. This is one of the few passages that is reported in all four Gospels. It so impressed all four of the Gospel writers that this is documented in all four Gospels. Turn them to Mark chapter 6. Because each one gives us a little added insight from their perspective of the things they saw. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So what you see is in in this same chapter, verses 14 through 29, talks about the faith of John the Baptist. And then what was happening during this time that Jesus had heard that his relative John had been beheaded, he had sent off the twelve to minister. They had just come back 
And Jesus said, you know, I've just heard my, my relative died. Let's go to a secluded place. These disciples had just come back themselves from ministering. It says that they were so busy, in verse 31, there had been so many people coming, they didn't even have time to eat. And Jesus said, let's get away to a secluded place. And they got in the boat and they went to a secluded place by themselves in verse 32. Verse 33. The people saw them going and many recognized them and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. You know, so they had tried to get away and the people were there standing in a crowd. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. It's already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200, days of, 200 denarii or 200 days wage on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And he went and he found out, and they said, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups in the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all, and they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also the fish. And there were five thousand men who ate of the loaves. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And, take, and taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him. And welcoming them, he began to speak to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Now the day was ending, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away that they may go into the surrounding villages in the countryside and find lodging and get something there to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. And he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups of about fifty each. They did so. And he had them all sit down. And they took the five, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and he broke them, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they broke the pieces which they had left over, and, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. And now turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, reading from verse 1. John 6, 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee for Tiberias. And a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover feast of the Jews was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, saw a large crowd coming near to him. And he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, 
But what is that for these people? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in numbers, in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish, as many as they wanted. As many as they wanted. And they were filled. And he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that there be nothing lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over, which they had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Okay, let's put this into context and think about all the different things that we just read and build a picture of what's going on. These guys are absolutely exhausted. Jesus just hears about the death of John the Baptist, the one who, ministered, the one who, who baptized him, the one whom he said was the greatest man ever born of woman, was John the Baptist. Jesus is exhausted. His disciples are exhausted. So exhausted they hadn't even had time to eat. You must have had times in your life where there was so much going on, you missed a couple of meals. And I don't know how you get, but I start feeling ravenous. And I'm not kind. There's all sorts of things that can start coming out of my mouth. It's amazing. You just miss a couple of meals and... and, and um, uh, uh, you don't look Christian anymore. I don't know if that ever happens to you. But just assume they were more like me. They were Jews, right? They were more like me. They weren't, they weren't like, like, like you guys. Plus, who were these people then? And so, so these disciples go to get away, and finally they're thinking, oh, this is great. Jesus is taken away. Let, let's go away on this boat. We're just going to have a picnic on a beach, and just going to be us. You know, just the guys are going to get together. We're going to get refreshed now. And they're thinking, we're just going to go on the beach, you know, Jesus will, you know, tell us to throw out a net and we'll catch only big fish or something. And, or he might, you know, just say a prayer and there's going to be barbecue. You know, we're going to have it right there on the beach. Jesus is going to take care of us. And, you know, he, he's kind of hurting about John. He'll probably go up into the mountainside and pray, but at least we could sit there and eat. He knows that, you know, we're not very good at prayer. Prayer is kind of his job. We're just going to be able to chill for a while. Just let down our hair and put our feet up and catch a ball game. You know, something. I'm going to relax now. Now, now, is, now it's my downtime. I deserve this time. I worked for it. I've just been out ministering. Now's my downtime. I deserve this. This is for me. It's all about me. You know, I, I already gave my part to the church. Now it's Sunday afternoon. You know, this is my time. I already sat in church and Listen to what they had to say. Did my duty for the week. They get to this, this place and the crowds are already there. And it's not just, you know, 40 people. It's 5,000 men plus women and children. So let's guess that it's 10,000 people. Now they had a lot more kids back then probably, so it's probably... 15,000 or more. But let's just call it 10,000. Because some of the men may not have had a woman with them. But it was 5,000 men plus women and children. So let's just say 10,000 people. Have you ever seen 10,000 people 
you're greeted by 10,000 people wanting your attention? I have not. But I can only imagine that it's a lot to deal with, especially when I'm exhausted and hungry and tired and thinking that this is my downtime and showing up at my house on Sunday lunch is 10,000 people. Ah, Shireen invited us for lunch. Oh, how wonderful. (laughs) 10,000 people. And these aren't college students. I mean, these these are farmers and fishermen and these are big, burly guys. They have big, hairy arms and, you know, mats of hair on the back of their hand. And, you know, they'll kill a sheep for lunch. And they're hungry. They haven't eaten all day. You know, they've been running around a lake. And then what does Jesus do? He gets out of this boat, and instead of going to pray, I mean, the guy's hurting inside. He starts teaching them about the kingdom of God. And I'm like, you know, oh, no. You know, imagine the disciples are like, when is this guy going to quit? I mean, he's just going on and on and on and on about the kingdom of God. And then, after doing all of this, what does he do? He starts praying for their sick. You know, if you've got 10,000 people, you know how many people are sick? You know how many people got bad backs? If you're in a group of 10,000 people, oh, I know, somebody here has a bad lower back. For sure, you're going to get some hits. You know, for sure. I mean, you got that many people, just statistically, there's going to be, you know, 80 bad left knees. You know, you start calling it out, and there's a lot of people there are sick. You know, I haven't been sleeping well. You know, Jesus, Jesus prays for you, so you sleep better. I mean, he starts praying for the sick. Anyone else need prayer? People are raising their hand, and the disciples are just saying, come on, enough now. We are exhausted. Remember, this was supposed to be our time. And then finally the disciples come to Jesus and say, Look, it's getting awfully late here. you got 10,000 people here and they're hungry. Let them go into these towns nearby and go eat. You feed them. What? You feed them. No. We don't feed people. Remember, you feed people. We're just watch. You the man. We just watch this stuff. No. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Oh, come on. Yeah, joke, right? We're going to get 200 days wages. $50,000. $50,000 is probably about right in relative terms. $50,000. You've got 10,000 people, $5 a meal, $5 a head. That's $50,000. 200 days wages. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll just open up the, the money box. Say, hey, Judas, come here. Let's see how much you haven't pilfered yet. We got, you got $50,000 in that box? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, we're going to go, go to town. And you, can you imagine feeding 10,000 people back then? You can't even do it now. Imagine just loading up the bus with 10,000 people and driving anywhere in Houston saying, go eat. I mean, any restaurant's overwhelmed. 
You ever had a busload of people and you pull into a McDonald's on the highway? They're like, <gasps> you know, because you, you, you got 60 people come all of a sudden in the McDonald's and McDonald's like, huh. and all of a sudden, you know, the hamburgers are gone. The French fries are gone instantly. You just clear them out. And this is fast food. It's made to serve fast to bunches of people. Imagine coming with ten, for ten, food for 10,000 people, even in Houston, city of 4 million people. You can't do it anywhere. Where are you going to go? Go into Rice Village with 10,000 people. To eat, everybody. I mean, you would overwhelm the restaurants instantly. Or send 12 people and say, oh, go into town and, and, and uh, just go pick up food for 10,000. I mean, you guys just prepared breakfast for 12. Imagine cooking for 10,000 people. Imagine, where are you going to get? How are we going to bring the food back here from town? 12 people? I mean, you need semis for 10,000 people. How are you going to feed this? Even if you had the box lunches prepared. That thing had to be a joke. Jesus said, well, get whatever you have. See how much food we have on hand. Andrew sees one kid, one lad, it says, with two fish and five barley loaves. This is the kid's lunch. This is not, you know, some blue marlins the kid is carrying around on his back. This is, in his, this is his sack lunch. And he just sees this, give me that thing. <laughs> Grab the kid's lunch. He says, this, this is what we have, Jesus. Got a couple of tuna fish sandwiches here. Jesus said, that'll do. He says, have them sit down in groups of 50 on the grass. We're going to feed some people. And these guys are sweating bullets. You've got 10,000 hungry people here. 5,000 of them big burly guys that are hungry. And Jesus says, tell them they're going to eat. As much as they want, you're going to feed them. I mean, if you invite people over to eat who haven't eaten all day, you better have something to feed them if you invite them over. You can't say, hey, April Fools, guess what? We're not eating today. You believe me? <laughs> you can't do that. These guys will rip them up. And these are tough guys. If you tell them you're gonna, we're going to feed you, they, they're expecting it. Jesus said, have them sit down in groups of 50, groups of 100. Jesus was an organized guy. Imagine feeding 10,000 people. If you don't group them and have them sit down in groups, it'll be chaos. It'll just be flooding all over you. Some people have no gift of administration and they shouldn't be administrators. They shouldn't be leading the church. They shouldn't be in charge. And I see this all the time at the university. Some people are professors and they should stay professors of the little group. They shouldn't be made administrators because they don't know how to administer. All they know how to do is, is walk into a class and talk. And get on out of there. And that's all they should do. Their gifting is not administration. Other people are just absolutely amazing administrators. And they take churches and they build them up into to tens of thousands of people. They're excellent administrators. Jesus knew how to handle crowds. If you don't know how to handle crowds, you're in big trouble with 10,000 people. 
especially when there's women there and children. You know, women don't want to sit in certain places and, you know, kids are running around. Jesus said, have them sit down in groups. He was an organized guy. And tell them you're going to feed them. Can you imagine what Peter's going through? He's just sweating bullets here. I told the guy we're going to feed him. And the guy, and the guys are sitting down. You're going to feed us? Good. Huh? I'm starving. I can, eat a, I can eat a couple of sheep here. Peter's thinking, don't worry, don't worry. Just, just sit down, sit down. And then Jesus calls the disciples over. And you got here a sack lunch, five little barley loaves, you know, and, 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 a, and a couple of uh, crappies, or I don't know, what do you call them? They're called small fish, sardines, or something. You know, they weren't very big. This is just a kid's lunch. Probably the disciples were all crowded around Jesus. And there's 10,000 people out there. And Jesus said, Father, bless this food and multiply it. And then he starts pulling out of this bag loaves of bread and handing them to the disciples. Just go take it to them. Now, there's no way God could have instantly multiplied that food into enough for 10,000 while the disciples are crowded around Jesus because they, you know, would have covered them. I don't know if you've ever seen food for 10,000, but it's a lot. And so Jesus is, is just handing it to them and they go and they bring a big handful of bread arms full of, of, of loaves of bread and they drop it off in these groups and they come back and Jesus is handing them more. And then it says he started distributing fish. And I don't think they ate sushi. So the, the fish had to be cooked somehow. And he's handing them cooked fish or smoked fish. He's handing it to them. The big thing. These guys are just, this is amazing. And they're feeding these people. And it says they fed them so much that everybody ate till they were full. Can you imagine feeding 10,000 people till they were full? When you got free food for people, they eat a lot. When somebody else is paying, what do you do? You eat a lot. You're buying, I'm eating. These guys are exhausted, but something is happening to them inside. So much so that all of them are going to write about this. And he starts feeding them all. And then afterward, there are twelve baskets full. There's a whole basket full for every one of the disciples. Because they were hungry too. Remember, they hadn't yet eaten. I don't know how many hours it took, but it had to be hours. You can't have twelve people serving ten thousand without it taking hours. No cleanup because it's just outside, but it's still hours just to bring them the food. This went on all through the night. And this is what God says. He calls you and me to serve other people. 
The scriptures say it is more blessed to give than to receive until we learn to give out of ourselves. We will never see the glory of God. We will never see it until we learn to give out. They were amazed as they kept coming back to Jesus and there was more. And he's just handing it to them. More and more and more food. You will see the glory of God if you learn to trust Jesus to be used. And the sad thing is, the vast majority of believers never see the hand of God and the power of God in their lives because they're never willing to give up a little bit. Jesus said, what have you got? I will take what you have and I will bless it and I will multiply it. Lord, I'm not a very good public speaker. Did you know the hardest thing for me when I was a child, was learning, was speaking to people. I could not even look into a person's, an adult's face and speak. And when I became a believer, God opened up opportunity after opportunity to teach Bible studies. And then He opened up opportunity after opportunity for public speaking. And He takes out of our very weakness and makes it a strength. Jesus said, if you take that talent that I have given you and you bury it in the ground, not only will you not see the glory of God, it even says, take this man and throw him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Until we allow God to take what little thing we have and multiply it and bless it. And very often you will serve God and you will be exhausted and hungry, and tired, and feel like there's no more left to give. And then he'll say, I want you to give a little bit more. You watch, I'm going to take that little bit that you have, and bless it and multiply it, and then you'll go for your rest. But give somebody something first. You give somebody something first. Every young man here, hear me, one day, you will be the leader of your home. Spiritually. And it is up to you to lead your family in morning prayer. It is up to you to rise up. And if you say, well, my wife doesn't join me, you rise up anyway. And you pray. And you gather up the children and you pray. And your wife will eventually join you. But this is your job. To give out. You say, well, I'm really busy in the morning. Well, wake up earlier and lead your family. There are things that God will call you to. And if you do this, God will bless you. I heard this morning, I was down at the bottom of the steps reading the scriptures. Josiah walked into Ben's room. As Josiah was coming out of his room, I looked up and said, Josiah, get, get Ben woken up. He went and he woke up just, uh, uh, Ben. And Ben said to Josiah, Josiah, would you pray with me? I mean, you know, that touched my heart. And I heard them both get down on their knees and pray together. You know, that touched my heart. If you will learn to give out of yourself, and then each of you has a role in the church, each of you has a ministry. If you do not have a ministry role in some campus group or in some church, then you're hiding your talent in the ground, and it may well bring a cursing upon you. You say, well, I don't know what I'm good at. Well, start working in the nursery and start there. Start working with the kids. And get involved in some way. Spend a couple hours a week giving of yourself and see God bless it. And you will see the power of God poured out. 
You say, well, I'm tired. You know, I, I work all day. I get home from work. Well, big deal. I work all day too. And there's a lot of people that work all day too and are tired. But they learn to serve and that's where the blessing is. Learn to serve and give of yourself in the body of Christ. A lot of times, Christian kids who grew up in the church saw their, their parents doing a lot of things and they never connected that all of a sudden they've come of age where they're supposed to be about it also. Where you take up and you start serving in that capacity and only then will you see the glory of God. Jesus said, you feed them. You do something. And I will take that little bit that you have and I will bless it. And you will see the glory of God poured out. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word, for the beautiful picture that is painted of Jesus feeding these 5,000 men through the, the hands of the disciples. Father, I pray that You take these young people and that You feed Your church, that You feed the body of Christ, that You feed the world through ministry, through their hands. Father, many of them will go many diverse places. Oh God, I pray that they would learn to take what little things they have and give it. They would take what little money they have and use it for Your glory and be willing to lay that up as an offering. They would take their time and lay that up as an offering to give. Father, I pray that they would be a blessing to the body of Christ. And that then they would see the glory of God poured out. Oh God, I ask you to work in their lives. Draw them out beyond themselves, I pray. And work in their lives. Father, I thank you. And I commit them to you. Do a great work, O oh Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen.